नमस्ते एंड वेलकम टू अनदर एडिशन ऑफ द भारत वार्ता वीकली आई एम रोशन कारियापा एंड आई हैव विद मी अभिषेक पॉल एंड नीरव कनोद्रा टू टेक यू थ्रू द न्यूज एंड इवेंट्स ऑफ द वीक दैट वाज वी गोइंग टू डाइव इनटू व्हाट वाज इंपॉर्टेंट व्हाट मेड न्यूज़ एंड ब्रिंग यू सम डिवर्स पर्सपेक्टिव्स ऑन दैट सो दिस वीक देयर वाज अ लॉन्च ऑफ हिजरोस मेडन सोला मिशन द आदित्य एल1 the government also constituted a committee to explore one nation one election uh, we also have updates from the india alliance meeting in mumbai uh, china released a standard map which is uh, proven to be extremely controversial finally we have a coup in the african nations of uh, niger and gabon all of this and more on this weekly uh, if this is the first time you're joining us don't forget to follow or subscribe to us on your favorite platform we publish episodes on politics policy and culture every week and uh, yeah let's get on with the the news for this week after the successful soft landing of chandrayaan 3 isro has launched the country's maiden solar mission aditya l1 it is india's first solar space observatory and was launched by the pslv c57 it will carry seven different payloads to have a detailed study of the sun four of which will observe the light from the sun and three others will measure in situ parameters of the plasma and magnetic fields uh, aditya l1 will be placed in a halo orbit around the lagrangian point or l1 uh, which is 1.5 million kilometers from the earth and the sun's direction it is expected to cover the distance in four months time well it seems like isro has no chill at all uh so soon after chandrayaan we have the aditya l1 mission and and it's not really a mission to the sun as is obvious i mean it's it's a point called l1 which is about 15 lakh kilometers away from the earth and interestingly this is a point where the earth's gravitational field and the sun's gravitational field kind of cancel out you know the satellite sort of orbits in that sort of a halo uh, right and, and as i mentioned i mean it's uh, going to study all the solar flares and uh, study the various components of the sun and so on and so forth uh, but yeah near of this is a tremendous news yeah absolutely absolutely so i think there were like a lot of jokes so there were people who were saying like chandrayaan is a hoax and then after the mission to the moon why don't you send another one to the sun so isro has done that so basically this is about 1% of the distance between the earth and the sun and you as you mentioned right so there is a lagrange point which is uh if you look at the gravitational force i think it's like mass of one body mass of the second body and distance r1 and r2 raised to 4 if i remember my physics correctly it, there is a neutral point and this will orbit around that neutral point so this is as close as uh, we can get to the sun and uh, see there are a lot of implications see a lot of people say that we don't know much about how the change in sun spot activity has caused climate change in the past and people say that the old ice ages etc which had happened or events where the dinosaurs were wiped out etc we don't know much and uh, this is something where probably we could know a bit more but what this has done is this is just highlighting our technical capabilities in space isro as an organization being a low cost ability and uh, this also like basically is highlighting india's achievements in science and technology and uh, obviously this is like another uh, big uh, event so inspires a whole generation of kids to take up such stuff right so such careers these things are possible and makes us imagine a lot more so i think all in all i this is like really hats off to isro uh, it's it's an organization which has consistently punched above its weight given all the resources like the manpower the money all of the resources what it gets inputs i think the output is phenomenal right 
and i think uh, commercial space applications will keep going up you seeing uh, jeff bezos and elon musk being a part of it i think isro will start uh, doing a lot more other commercial stuff as well because more business will come their way all in all this is a very very fantastic news and uh, it will have a big multiplier effect going forward so isro is functioning like a startup right i mean they have launches coming up every uh, you know every few months fantastic stuff uh, folks i mean if you haven't checked out already i think you should definitely listen to mission isro it's a spotify uh, audio series narrated by harsha bogle and he talks about how isro was formed and uh, vikram sarabhai and plenty of other things right very exciting stuff uh, really really fun to listen to so do check it out it's on spotify all right moving closer to the earth uh, Last week, the government constituted a committee headed by former President of India, uh, Sri Ramnath Kovind, to explore the possibility of one nation, one election. This report of the committee has come a day after Parliamentary Affairs Minister, Mr. Pralaj Joshi, said the government has convened a special session of the Parliament between 18th to 22nd September 2023. The concept of one nation, one election in India aims to synchronize elections for the Lok Sabha and all state assemblies. Abhishek, I know, you know, this has been something that uh, has been discussed for a while now, uh, right? The fact that it can reduce costs, the fact that, uh, you know, it can ease some of the administrative burden. Um, and more importantly, I think there is a focus on governance rather than, you know, always being in a perennial election mode. Um, but it definitely is not without uh, challenges, right? I mean, it will require some constitutional amendments. Uh, and uh, yeah, how do you kind of see this? Yeah, so first of all, uh, it's not official whether the special session of parliament that has been called is for this topic itself. But there is a lot of speculation about it in the media. So it could be one of the uh, possible reasons for calling this session. So as you rightly said, there are some very obvious uh, benefits that uh, we could get from having one uh, election cycle every five years which has most of the elections at one go right whether it is the parliamentary election or the state elections i don't know if it will go f further than that uh, but uh, yeah so that obviously gives us an advantage in terms of cost savings it gives an advantage in terms of uh, uh, lesser bandwidth utilization of all the government machinery, right? Who leave their regular jobs and get into election duty uh, every few years. So yeah, obviously there are some administrative benefits and cost savings, but there will be a lot of opposition to this from the current opposition because the narrative is that uh, this is being done by the BJP to kind of suit them. Uh, it suits them because uh, the theory behind it is that if you have a state election uh, group together with the national elections, then the voter might only consider uh, national issues while giving the vote and ignore and state issues or local issues would get ignored and that would sort of benefit a national party 
like the BJP against, let's say, a party which is limited to a state or a region, right? So, uh, obviously, like the opposition will not, will say that, you know, there is a sort of malignant motive behind this, right? Uh, that is one thing. And again, as you said, there are going to be a lot of steps that will need to be taken, including constitutional amendments. Uh, uh, and that will also involve, I think, getting it approved through state assemblies and so on. Uh, so as you said, right now, a committee is being formed under President, uh, past former President Covid. And in the past, I believe there have been some proposals that have come out in the form of articles, etc. by people like Vivek Debroy, uh, where, you know, he's talked about how do you transition from the various different terms, right, that are currently there. Because if you suddenly start it from 2024, what will happen is that uh, certain governments, right? Let's say the Karnataka government, which got elected this earlier this year, what happens to them, right? So how do you transition various states who have a currently a different cutoff point than say the May, June 2024 that you have for the Lok Sabha? So there are several suggestions of how you can transition it over five years. And obviously certain governments will have to be given a slightly different term than the five year, right? So that it gets merged after a point in time. So those are the kind of uh, details which the committee will have to be worked. But yeah, overall, I expect a lot of heated debate around this and, and no sort of political consensus that will come around. Well, certainly an interesting development. And for a country as large and complex as India, it does kind of make sense to streamline these uh, things for sure, right? Moving on, uh, last week the Chinese released a new standard map of uh, China 2023 in what it calls an effort to eliminate problem maps. However, a closer look at the map shows that uh, the map itself has a, a bunch of problems. It shows the whole state of Arunachal Pradesh and Aksachin as its territory. Uh, India lodged a st strong protest against the map and rejected claims made by Beijing, saying that they have no basis to claim Indian territory. China, in response, has claimed that it is just a routine annual exercise and has asked not to over-interpret the action. Well, Nirav, uh, is this a routine annual exercise or some kind of 3D chess uh, by China? So, see, I think China has disputes. So China is one country. If you really see, it has got land borders with the most number of countries. So we've got uh, disputes on Aksai Chin and Arunachal Pradesh, all of which which they claim is their own because a certain Dalai Lama was born there in Tawang uh, instead of Tibet. So they count it as a part of their Tibet province. They have a dispute uh, where along the Amur River, uh, which is a border between north of North Korea, which is a border between China and Russia. I think that side, they have some disputes there. They, they are claiming the entire island of Taiwan. Uh, which they are claiming. They have the uh, famous, the old one was called the 9 dash line, but now they've made a 10 dash line. So Vietnam, Philippines and Malaysia are all protesting against that as well. So see, I think if you remember, I want to go back like the Ramayana, right? What was the Ashwamedh Yagna? Ashwamedh Yagna is wherever my horse runs, that territory is mine. 
so this is what they are trying to do like first you kind of uh, they are projecting power they are projecting power and uh, they have issues also like we've had like near doklam between bhutan and sikkim and all of those things so i think they are showing what they believe is the chinese map and uh, it is for others to stand up and prove their territory otherwise anyways i think see uh, there are people who say the reverse about india as well about gilgit baltistan and pakistan occupied kashmir as well as aksai chin like we claim all of it versus like there are contesting uh, things but here what has china done is uh, on the diplomacy front uh they don't have that many friends in in this sense and like this is kind of alienating some other countries whether you would want to have like better relationship especially with the antagonistic relationship with the us but uh this is more of projecting power and i think all the others are coming across and saying in the 10 dash line now there's a dispute with indonesia as well so that's the new one i would like to say uh people take maps very seriously this is very important in the movie barbie there randomly in the map they've shown the china's nine dash line version and that is why the movie barbie was not released in vietnam because the vietnamese said that this is inappropriate right so people take maps very seriously this is taken as a serious uh, with a lot of thought so i think there is something which is in there it is for the other countries to step up other countries to have their own maps and uh, also you want to get the people in those regions to be like especially for india so you want the arunachalis as well as the ladakhis to feel indian more than feeling chinese despite china on an average being five times as rich as india right we have same population similar population the gdp is five times as much so i think that's also their part of nation building part of like wanting everybody to have like uh, unity and diversity is what we call it in china it's like more uh, unity in uniformity but maybe that's their uh, perception about everyone being han chinese but uh, this is taken quite seriously i think there have been issues so uh, there are always issues there were issues even like earlier with north korea but i think and then apparently there were issues earlier with pakistan as well but like pakistan was claiming all parts of gilgit baltistan itself but then it's like given up some territory etc so there are disputes with a lot of countries and everybody is uh staking claims and uh, what you will see is who power will finally kind of prevail right on the ground do the people there do they want to be with aligned with whom and a lot of these places are quite sparsely populated so you've got in the south china sea there are the spratly islands and the mischief islands uh, they are just atolls but now they've poured over concrete uh, built some airports with a airline landing strip they pushed population in there so again uh, this is a part of projecting their power uh, they want to be a super power like 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 the us and they are trying to do that and uh, i think maybe uh, this over aggression kind of makes everybody else align against them or like uh, find some some sort of allies or one common topic so like you've seen india's exporting some brahmos besides to vietnam you see taiwanese companies setting up a parallel iphone uh, assembly plants in india so i think this is also an opportunity so this kind of allows you to have uh, align with the people who have something else with china to see how can you cooperate better so i think 
that's just that uh, most people know that these maps are China's interpretation of what China is. Uh, Indians are free to make their own maps or like there are people, I've seen those Akhand Bharat vision maps, etc. Right? Uh, which goes all the way from Afghanistan or even Uzbekistan all the way to Bali in Indonesia. So, uh, but yeah, I think uh, we should not take it like uh, these maps, while they're taken too seriously, there's not much change on ground and uh, we should just try and make the most of this to see how we can cooperate with others and counter a common dispute. Yeah. No, I think uh, the others also, uh, Philippines, Malaysia, Vietnam and Taiwan have also joined India in rejecting this map and I have issued strongly worded statements as well, right? So, last week the opposition bloc India met in Mumbai and held crucial discussions to give structure to their cooperation and a common agenda to take on the NDA in the 2024 Lok Sabha elections. Uh, the alliance parties uh, passed resolutions to jointly contest the upcoming Lok Sabha elections as far as possible. The bloc said the seat-sharing agreements will be initiated immediately and concluded at the earliest in a collaborative spirit of give and take. Abhishek, uh, there seems to be more developments uh, with this India alliance, right? I mean, do you think that uh, it's going to be strong enough and it's going to hold the you know, various uh, political pressures uh, and last us through 2024? Yeah, I mean, obviously, they seem to be a lot more serious uh, this time around, right, in terms of coming out with a pre-poll alliance rather than just going into the elections and then trying to figuring it out uh, uh, in a post-poll scenario. Uh, but uh, obviously, the last two times, the opposition hasn't had a say right or even a chance of a say because of the clear majority of bjp nda right so i think there will be a lot of sort of contradictions that emerge or let's say competing interests that emerge for various states and so it will be interesting to see how the alliance is able to sort of navigate that uh, take the states where the Ahmadmi party is strong, for example, Delhi and Punjab, right? What happens to the Congress state units in those states? Do they quietly give it up? Or, you know, do we see defections and individuals coming out of the party that gets sort of left behind, right, in these states in terms of specific seats? So you could see some sort of issues uh, in coordination between let's say Ahmadmi party and Congress, but there's also the case of Ahmadmi party wanting to, let's say, expand in other places, right? So do they give up their ambitions in places like Gujarat, etc., right? Where they had done reasonably well as a first time competitor last time. So I do see some interesting sort of flash points. Let's say take West Bengal as an example, right? Generally, I mean, over the last few years, the Congress has been in opposition to the TMC. The CPM has been in opposition to the TMC, but now officially all of them are in this alliance. So how does that work out? I think if they're able to sort of manage this and come out with uh, seat sharing formulas that at least reasonably satisfactory for the local units, then I think that kind of improves their chances significantly. But if they're not able to manage these contradictions, then probably you could see some sort of breakaways or rebellions 
etc and so that will be sort of interesting to watch and finally we lend with some uh, news from across the globe uh, over the past few weeks a uh, couple of uh, african nations niger and gabon have seen coups by their military leaders the declining economic prospects leading to fragility in the country and increase in foreign foreign military presence are said to have triggered a mass unrest leading to the coups um and meanwhile singapore's former deputy prime minister tharman shanmugaratnam was elected president on friday he comfortably secured a victory in the city state's first contested vote for the largely ceremonial position in more than a decade nirav thrilled about uh, someone from an indian origin uh, becoming the singapore president so uh, i would say more than being thrilled about uh, an indian origin person i am a singapore resident been living here for 13 years it is uh, tharman as a person his own personal stature uh, being so high that is also like it befits somebody for this uh, position when dealing with other heads of state as you correctly mentioned it is a, a largely ceremonial position but uh, he uh, has a huge personal identity before becoming a politician so uh, if i were to just go and like talk about his achievements uh, so tharman he joined as an economist in the monetary authority of singapore so which is like a rbi and then he became the chief economist right so first is his he's worked within the central bank then he went and he has worked in uh, imf on deputation over there in washington dc then in 2001 uh he resigned as a managing director of uh, mas and he contested uh, the 2001 general election he's been the finance minister he's been the deputy prime minister right so uh, that gives you all the credentials of the person the way all the things that he's achieved over the years right uh he was is extremely popular in the general elections he won i think 77% of the vote in the last parliamentary election which was the single highest in his constituency which is jurong west uh singapore elections are a bit like your city municipal elections to be fair coming from large country like india uh and now in this presidential election uh you had three very capable candidates so like you had tharman whose achievements have outlined you had ankok song who was uh the previous chief of gic which manages the pension and the sovereign wealth fund of the country and the third one was uh, uh mr tan in liat uh, who was the uh, ceo of ntuc which is the largest grocery chain so you had three very capable candidates and uh, it is just that tharman is personal popularity among singaporean is very high and uh, so it's it's a very positive thing it's also great uh, he's not the first indian origin uh, president uh, you've had for a long time uh, in the 90s you had sr nathan previously as well so what traditionally has happened is Singapore just has had three prime ministers, so one was Lee Kuan Yew, then was Goh Chok Tong, and currently we have Lee Hsien Loong. Uh, right now, the uh, future PM in waiting is Lawrence Wong. So, uh, what has happened is they've had a Chinese prime minister, and the president has either been uh, Malay. So Yusuf Ishak was the first president. Uh, previous president was uh, uh, Mrs. Halima Yacoub. Uh, so they were Malays, and now. Uh, Tharman Shanmugaratnam uh, is of Indian origin. His wife, though, is Japanese, and uh, he met her uh, while working for the IMF in Switzerland. Actually, so so he's in that sense, and he talks. He doesn't talk about his Indian identity. He talks about like a, a Singaporean identity, right? Uh, 
So I think all in all, uh, a very capable person and uh, always good to have. Uh, uh, he has some extended family in Tamil Nadu and in Sri Lanka. So he's not exactly Indian Indian as well. Like you can say like with a Japanese wife, he, he calls himself Singaporean and very rightly so. So uh, a race hasn't had much to do with it. And I don't think anybody commented anything on his race or uh, whatsoever. And uh, he's got a long public service career uh, as a bureaucrat, as a politician, as like deputy prime minister. So he's been in the public eye for long and he has his own stature. So though that's a great thing. Uh, also at times, maybe a softer touch being of Indian origin, a little more relationship with India is better. So obviously, but yeah, uh, all in all a great uh, a deserving winner. Fantastic. All right, with that, we come to the end of this uh, weekly. Uh, we have a brand new episode on the 1965 war uh, with Adit Kapadia and Mohal Joshi. We were due to publish it this week, but due to some technical snafu, uh, we had to re-record parts of it. Uh, but So we'll be publishing the episode on September 6th, which uh, also ironically is Pakistan's Defense Day, uh, apparently. That's what I learned yesterday. Uh, so do check it out and uh, also uh, Neera Vabhishek excited for the India-Pakistan match uh, coming up at 3pm today? Yeah, like I think uh, India-Pakistan we don't play each other that often so like a few such tournaments Asia Cup or the upcoming World Cup is uh, we, well, we get to see this but I would say what has happened is like there's been more rivalry between say India and Australia or India-England series uh, between like you'd call these uh, maybe as the top nations so that edge has been lost a bit, but Pakistan is a surprise package. You can never discount them. On a, on their they day, they can the beat anyone. World number one team right now, right? So, yeah, yeah. So they, on their day, they can beat anyone, and on their day, they can lose to any weak team as well. So that makes it always uncertain, right? So exciting game to watch. All right, looking forward to it as well. Um, all right, folks, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this content. And if you did, don't forget to rate and review us on your favorite platform so more people can discover our content. Uh, from Abhishek, Neera, and myself, thank you for joining. Do stay safe, take care, and Jai Hind.